This is a Federal News Network podcast. Defense Department planners know they can't succeed with a technological edge over enemies unless the U.S. industrial base can design and build the things the military needs. That's the idea behind an initiative called the National Imperative for Industrial Skills, backed by $27 million in seed money. Here with more, the director of the Industrial Base Analysis and Sustainment Program, Adele Ratcliffe. Ms. Ratcliffe, good to have you on. Uh, Nice to be here today. Tell us more about this program and what you're trying to accomplish. Excited to be here today to talk about this. Our industrial skills workers have been the bedrock of our economic and national security since the history of our country. But we've seen an erosion of that pipeline of industrial skills development and the prestige of that recruiting, training, and putting people into that pipeline. You know, our think tanks estimate more than 2 million open manufacturing jobs in this country. Those jobs create economic growth and, when needed, support national security. And these are promising and fulfilling jobs that people can enter into. As we canvassed our industrial base and talked to industry and talked to schools, we saw this chronic and acute shortage of labor really starting to impinge upon our ability to produce product. So we wanted to act uh, and act swiftly to coalesce people to work together and begin to think differently about how we could put those workers in place with the skills that we needed when we needed them. All right. You are talking also about not just manufacturing skills, but also engineering skills, because that comes first before you make a thing. That's true. We talk a lot about the engineering needs in this country and the need to grow more organic capabilities in our country of engineering students. But our focus has been mostly on the industrial skills because we do talk a lot in the Department of Defense about that engineering shortage, but we haven't talked a lot about the impact of the industrial skills worker and their value. And that's what we wanted to draw the attention to by that title, the National Imperative for Industrial Skills. There are thousands of jobs needed for our defense programs around these skill sets, and yet we don't have the capacity within our community college and training programs to position those people at the time when we need them, and we wanted to draw attention to that. And so the $27 million that you have is gone to several prototype types of programs. Tell us more about those. Yeah. You know, as we look to claw back American supply chains or expand current ones, there are skill sets that are foundational to any industry, welding, metrology, uh, machining that we need at scale and velocity. And so we're excited to be able to pilot some of those type activities with, say, Danville, Virginia. We're looking to take those two-year programs and crest them into under six months, move from tens of people to hundreds of people a year to help put into the ship and subsector. Another award is up in the New England area to help grow the skill sets needed for the Columbia class in that region. We're also looking, if you talk about fundamental needs that we need for all of our industries like microelectronics, we need to grow the technician skill sets there as well. And so we've awarded to a program that will target local needs for microelectronics and design that curricula. When we're talking about the small and medium manufacturers in our sub-tier supply chains, if we want them to be able to capture the use of IoT 4.0 or capture the benefits of the current capabilities of machine tools, they need skilled workers to do that. And so we're partnering with Auburn University to establish a program for Alabama to help grow the IoT 4.0 front for technicians and new systems engineering technicians and capture the benefit of advanced machining. 
And one of the ones that I'm most proud about is a live action competition that we started last year, Project MFG, that has had resounding success in the communities. We've had more than 143 participants. We've scholarship more than $650,000 through those competitions. And this year's award will continue that evolution and we'll target those defense communities and design those competitions against those specialty skill sets needed for that community. And this helps create energy and inform the communities of their shortfalls. We're speaking with Adele Ratcliffe. She's director of the Industrial Base Analysis and Sustainment Program in the Office of Industrial Policy at the Defense Department. So the prototype programs then are educational in nature in the pursuit of skills development. Is that a good way to put it? Absolutely. And my question then is, do you believe that there are actually jobs available for the people so trained? That is to say, the issue is not so much a shortage of companies to do this work, but a shortage of people to fill the jobs those companies that exist actually have. That's correct. We're talking about millions of shortfalls of jobs in this country. They're left unfilled. They're waiting for someone to fill those opportunities and contribute to the economic and national security growth of our country. And these types of jobs, say you're working on a Columbia-class sub and you're, I guess, there's some welding. I don't know how you work with titanium and some of the materials, high-end materials. But these are good-paying jobs, aren't they, too? Outstanding paying jobs. We're talking about uh, five figures for machinists and welders, up to six figures in some communities for those same skill sets for less than a two-year degree. Sure. And is there also the possibility that people trained under these programs, say coming out of Auburn or one of the institutions in New England, could become entrepreneurs with those skills and start the types of supply chain participants that DOD might need? Absolutely, which we need those as well. A skilled technician that has an entrepreneurial mindset, I think, would be hugely beneficial to our country. And of course, you can't guarantee that they'll get work or stay with the defense contractors directly. But it seems like there's a possibly bigger theme here, and that is bringing back manufacturing in general from China. That's right. Our supply chain ebbs and flows out of the Department of Defense. And if we want to attack the issues related to the defense supply chain, to some degree, we need to begin to address that holistically within the workforce development pipelines. So these efforts not only benefit the DOD, they benefit their communities, and they benefit the individual as well. And I want to ask a question about your title. You are Director of Industrial Base Analysis and Sustainment. What activities do you do to analyze the supply base? Well, with respect to workforce, this is kind of a new effort for us that we started a couple of years ago, really looking at in earnest within our program. And unlike, say, carbon fiber, where we have a better handle on the aggregated needs of the Department of Defense for that, we haven't really taken that approach at an aggregated need level of the workforce skills needed at the shop floor. And so now we're working with our programs of record to understand, let's chase that supply chain of workforce, so to speak, do that across other programs of record aggregate the need against those skills, and then use that to inform the engagement strategies and investment strategies at the states. In fact, one of our awards with Texas A&M is to do just that. Yeah. And then the other issue, too, is that we've been talking, say, again, to go back to the example of the Columbia-class submarine, there's a prime contractor for that. But whether you're building an airplane or a submarine or a ship, there are hundreds, sometimes thousands of subcontractors, people that have to manufacture gyroscopes and computer racks and, you know, the thousands and thousands of parts on these things. 
So is it also the goal of the program to migrate people out to the subcontractor level, some of which is extremely high technology manufacturing? Right. Our focus is not just on the OEMs. It is at that aggregated need within that program. Historically, we think, hey, the OEMs can solve that workforce challenge. But we know that's not true, right? They have to cross organizational lines. Our supply chains cross state lines, and those are at the sub-tier level. And we need to take that same mindset of that sub-tier workforce need like we do on, say, carbon fiber and other more traditional materials. Now, some of the things DOD builds and uses have commonality with things in the private sector. We have Boeing that makes both commercial and military aircraft, for example. We don't have much of a shipbuilding industry, but we have other industries that make vehicles and weapons and so on, handguns, whatever it might be for military and commercial purposes or non-military purposes. Is there any sense of cooperation with some of those OEMs that also have would have similar supply chain issues if they wanted to have U.S. sourced subcomponents. You know, we're working with our industry associations to understand their sector requirements, so to speak, for aerospace, so we can take that into account in terms of those skill sets. We don't want to be competing against that labor market. We want to work together to grow the labor requirements, especially at the state level, against that entire sector need, so that we're not competing against ourselves for that labor. All right, so you've got these prototyping, these are grants or contracts that are out? They're prototype awards underneath an other transaction authority called Cornerstone that we launched to help invest. We use it to help grow investments down in the industrial base. All right, so those awards are out, and what happens next? How do you monitor them? How do you know it's having some effect? Well, we've had our kickoff meetings with all of them, and now we're starting to you know, develop the curricula, in- institute the programs, order equipment if needed. And so we'll be monitoring that, working with each of those performers and also networking them together so that we share best practices and circulate that information. Adele Ratcliffe is director of the Industrial Base Analysis and Sustainment Program in the Office of Industrial Policy at the Defense Department. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand, subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Whether in person or remote, open communication with your doctor is key to managing any condition, including heart failure. How have you been feeling? Um, I'm okay. Both are great options to continue having open conversations with your doctor about how you're feeling. I've had less energy. And when you speak openly with your doctor, they're better equipped to help. Visit heartfailuretalks.com to learn more. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.